Hello, Next Geners. Welcome to our Tuesday review. It's our spring review. We thought we'd give everyone a couple of days to settle down after a massive week. Hayden Byrne, our data guru from Daily Sectionals, joins me on every episode. Hayden, um, geez, big cup week. Uh, very elegant, fantastic story. Willowy, great in the Oaks. Um, and then we saw a couple of stars in Nature Strip and Zaki do their thing on Stakes Day. It was a very enjoyable carnival, wasn't it? It was a carnival that, you know, from headline acts, we were questioning what we had. I think it was very enjoyable to see that uh, a few of the better ones step up to the forefront. And, you know, our stars weren't necessarily uh, out of equine. I think James McDonald stole the show. Well, that he did. He wrote 10 group. Uh, sorry, not 10 group one winners, four group one winners, but 10 winners for the cup week, uh, breaking Brett Preble's record of nine, which uh, Brett did in both 1999 and 2000. So amazing achievement for uh, J-Mac, um, four group one winners, home affairs in the Coolmore. Uh, we spoke about Derby Day um, as part of a review Um and that's uh, intertwined with our Melbourne Cup runner-by-runner runner preview show, which I think we did on the Monday, the Sunday or the Monday before the Cup. So you can find that there on YouTube or iTunes and Spotify if uh, that's how you like to listen. So the Derby Day um, review was done, and then he obviously won the Melbourne Cup on Very Elegant and Nature Strip and, and Zaki. Um, nice to get on good horses, but you've still got to ride them well. And... Um, Jeezy gave very elegant a peach in the Melbourne Cup. Let's let's start with the Melbourne Cup. Uh, she won by four lengths. Um, how good was the performance um, at 3,200 metres? We'd only seen her there once at the trip last year's Cup where she ran okay. I think about benchmark over the 3,200, but what did she do on Tuesday? Second best of the day, mate. 4.3 lengths above IVR benchmark in an excellent edition of the Melbourne Cup. From a performance standard, she measures right up with the cross counters, the rekindlings. You know, she's right there. Where there was question marks over how good was the cup? There was the international contingency wasn't there as per um, as per usual. So there was going to be some question marks about it. And I, for one, was excited to see what sort of overall IVR score she would put up. You know, knowing that. She's got a typical profile here. We know that it sits in that four lengths above IVR benchmark range. She was very good in the Cox Plate. The five lengths above IVR benchmark performance gave us the indication that she was the right runner. She was there and her performance matched up from an IVR perspective to incentivize and his performance in the Caulfield Cup. You know, it's not the easiest thing in the world to compare horses' performances from one race to the other. We see things that are visually more exciting than others. And it's hard to measure up winning in such dominant fashion in the Caulfield Cup versus running third in a Cox Plate against two very, very good horses. So the performance was there and it stood up on the biggest of stages, her performance in the Melbourne Cup. I thought was outstanding. I loved the ride. I thought it was brilliant. Both Williams and McDonald went in with a game plan that they were going to stalk and incentivise everywhere he went. They might have foxed Preble into going a touch earlier than what he would have liked. 
but in the end, I don't think I've felt a Melbourne Cup is over from so far out for a while. So extraordinary performance, brilliant mare, and you can finally put the tick on the end of your little drum that you've been beating for quite some time. Yes, mate, she is a champion. She's a champion. I think I wrote that in a story last year when she'd won her fifth group one and caused a bit of a stir and she went on to win the Caulfield Cup. And I asked then, is she a champion? And then she came back and continued winning group ones. And now she's won a Melbourne Cup. I think think she joined So You Think on 10 group ones and So You Think's a champion. And I think uh, very elegant in a similar conversation to So You Think, not in the Wings or Black Caviar uh, conversation, but just that step below. Uh, I think she deserves to be alongside the Jewel Cox Plate winner. Um, incentivize, end of prep, didn't run a strong 3,200 metres, uh, too fast through the first section. What's your take? Oh, he travelled through the first section seven lengths above benchmark. So that's to the 800 metre mark. So you've got to, you know, even though it is relatively quick, it is over a longer distance. They've still gone along at a good rate. It's four lengths slower than what last year's winner went through the first section, Twilight Payment. And the tracks raced relatively quick. So all in all, yes, he has gone fast or faster than what he would have liked. Um, but in terms of him running out a strong 3,200, no doubt, about that whatsoever. His last 200 was very solid. So I don't think there was a distance issue with him at all. Mm-hmm. Personally, just think he found one that was way too good for him on the day. Um, you know, I was watching, you know, I'm one who likes to pick up on the rubbish that gets spoken. We like to try and filter that out. But I was watching... Um, a little bit of crap the morning before. Crap's the only word I could use to describe the historian who wanted to pull the cup apart and say that, you know, a mare could not possibly win the Melbourne Cup with 57 kilos. Mares have bad records in the race. The weight would just simply weigh her down. You know, you've only got to go through her... um, her recent profile, mate, and all her recent Group 1 performances had been with that weight. She carried 57. She's beaten him, her. He's beaten everything. She's beaten everything that's been thrown up against her. That is the reason that she was a 17 out to $27 Betfair BSP, whatever they like to call it, um, starting price. And once again, the historians... They come out on the Wednesday and they start to talk rubbish about she's gone to a whole new level and, you know, career best performance. And at the end of the day, mate, it's just bulldust to suit their own narrative of why they didn't find it. No, congrats to you. For those who watched the Melbourne Cup preview show, uh, you had her number two behind incentivising your numbers. So you got the Quinella there. Um, credit to you. You... Um, you gave her a massive push. My, my, I had her in my top eight um, in, in those numbers. My question mark was the 3,200, but she certainly proved me wrong there. Um, last one on the Melbourne Cup. If Very Elegant didn't run and Chris Waller was 
tempted not to run her, would we be saying that this was a low-rating Melbourne Cup? It changes the dynamic of the race. So the could have, would have, should have. It does change the dynamic. The pressure on incentivised doesn't come on as early as what it would have. And Preble would have been in a position where his main focus would have been holding Spanish mission. They really tore away from the rest. You know, the mm-hmm. sixth length gap back to fifth. Mm-hmm. So Brett could have rode to beat Spanish mission and Spanish mission only. You felt like he was the only one of that race shape that could have pressed him. And he's probably not exposed from so far out. Willow wouldn't have got as punchy as what he did. James forced the issue, forced the other two into a little bit of uncomfortableness and beat them fair and square. So, you know, in terms of if she wasn't there and if she didn't win, it changes the whole dynamic of the race and those two go toe-to-toe. So... Need to answer the question, no. And good cup. Very enjoyable. You mentioned the very elegant second best performance of the day. Let's quickly touch on the best performance of the day. It came in the last race with Quantico smashing them down the straight. Was it was a very good performance. We had the discussion regarding this horse together. Mm-hmm. I realised, I think we mentioned on the last show that we might have steered people into that. That was incorrect. That was between, that conversation was between me and you. I only thought about it after we uh, did the show. That was a conversation between two horses when we were discussing the race speed profiles, Insecurity's race speed profiles. Um, yeah, actually, I'm not sure we got to it, but we... Um... <sighs> Whether we spoke about it on the show or off the show, we said Quantico and Pandemic were the only two that we could really entertain. I put Pandemic up on the uh, up on the Facebook page, and obviously Pandemic's run nowhere near its level, and Quantico's come out and smashed them. Yeah, well, we do discuss regularly that you don't want to you want to tick all the boxes before you put your money on. And for those who are watching live on the day, they would have realised that the pandemic fell apart pre-race. When he went into the barriers, you could tell that he wasn't, his race had been run and won prior to the gates opening. This was a bit of a machine, Quantico, best of the day performance, 4.9 lengths above IVR benchmark. Big, big last 400 kick. That's a booming kick off a good squeeze. Fantastic. Last 422 flat home 1132 horse going places and one to watch for the future, I think. All right. Um, write that one down in your books. Let's have a look at Oaks Day. Willowy came out of the wakeful. It wasn't a high rating wakeful, um, certainly not from an IVR perspective, but there was enough credit there, um, enough merit in the run to suggest that 2500 would suit, but We've said all along that these three-year-old fillies aren't that great. And Willowy didn't have to improve all that much taking um, that IVR figure up to 2,500. No, I didn't have to improve at all. We discussed basically all carnival. We've had the opinion that the fillies are pretty poor. And 
not so much poor, but they're a very even bunch and they're batting about three lengths below what you would expect for the top of t- top tier of three-year-old fillies at this stage. They're going to have the opportunity as a, you know, go out for a break over summer and get some sun on the back and eat the grass. We know that the fillies do improve where the pulps don't. So they're going to get the opportunity to strengthen up, thicken up and go to Sydney in the autumn and put the gloves back on and go again. Her performance... You just had the feeling out of the wakefall that she was clearly going to be the one to beat. She was the one who was there at the right time. Damien Oliver, a little bit of magic over the last hundred to get her there. She may have reacted to him screaming at her and not liked that. Um, but I think the 77th last 400 of the day, combined with the 70th fastest last 200 of the day to run one down is sums up the oaks but you know where to for the for this lot from here well they're going to need to find somewhere in the vicinity of three to five lengths or they're going to be the next crop of benchmark 64 horses in victoria yep okay uh the best performance of the day was espiona everyone's been talking about her she started something like a dollar 60 um and smashed her rivals yeah, how good's this filly? Um, she's now second favourite, I think, for the Doncaster, which um, you might be scratching your head at that. Certainly wouldn't be jumping into any futures off the back of that, but, uh, you know, a, a performance with merit. She looks like a goldmine for bookmakers' futures, doesn't she? How can you be second or third favourite for races like a Cox Plate and second or third favourite for an Everest? You know, if you're putting her in early multiple bets for a year, for 12 months down the track, not knowing where she is going, and you're taking under 20 to 1, you're crazy. Boy, oh boy. Impressive, yes. Visually spectacular. But let's not get too carried away. Okay. She's $15 for the Everest. Yeah, well, got rocks in the head. Trainer's the only bloke who knows how good she really is because he's had enough good horses to run the comparable. But don't be mistaken, she's beaten up garbage. So, you know, if you ever want to get ordinary horses on on a platform and get them exposed, put them down the big, beautiful strait of Flemington, and give them 500 metres of exposed pressure, and then you'll find out how good they are. You know, horses like Star of Chaos, Star Waltz, Burning Power, etc. they're holding negative four profiles. Mm-hmm. So to go out and win by six, you're still only in that plus two range. So you've got a fantastic platform now to be a really good horse. You find four lengths at the mile, and you're going to be in that Doncaster level. You know, the opportunity to win Doncaster's, Epsom's, Handicap Milers, you know, horses like Private Eye, Superstorms, you know, they're horses who hover around that four to six level at a mile. Mm-hmm. So you can have every opportunity in the world to go there. You couldn't possibly say that there's not two lengths minimum up their sleeve. Um, but right now, as she sits, best of the day, 2.4 lengths above IVR benchmark. That's her. That's where she is. Like, 
she hasn't really even broken the Flemington um, fourteen hundred meter benchmark yet. Yep. So, you know, again, the old narrative suitor, nervous witness got done down the shutting straight. Mm. People need to calm down a little bit. Just because we see a big margin doesn't mean we see a big horse. All right. Um, I think that's all from Oaks Day we need to mention. Let's look at Stakes Day. Uh, we'll start with the big boy, Nature Strip. Um, he smashed them here. Uh, second was Swats That. How much, how good was this performance, um, beating Swats That by about three lengths? Well, when you look at it and you measure up, okay, who's beaten who and by how far? Mm. And we see that Nature Strips won. Spectacular. You know, that was just dominant from the front. One length above benchmark first section. And we've discussed them time after time after time after time. What does this horse do when he goes between benchmark and one length above first section? Explodes. It's game over. Everybody else. You can... You can forget about it. And he didn't really have to twist them to places where they didn't want to go. It was just a, um, an 800 meter sustained run. Like clock second fastest, eight, six, four, 12 fastest last two. Why James was doing his customary salute. Yeah, he stopped that last 200, didn't he? Yeah. So, you know, you've gone out, you've beaten spots that, but the best part about it, 5.9 lengths above IVR benchmark, mate, that's, he's gone down the straight, he's gone to his typical level. He's a plus six sprinter, we know that. When he comes to play, that's the typically the sort of figure he puts up. He's got the capabilities of going into the eights and nines, but they look like they're a little bit behind him at the moment. And plus six is good enough just to belt everyone else up. So he's... We know how real he is. We don't have to question that. Swats, that's gone to a new level. But that's her level. You can't see a lot more there. She's going to be, she's going to get better as she gets older. You know, I would expect her to be a better horse next campaign. Bella Nipotina looks like she's going to have another nice race in her at some stage in her career, but you know, 1.5 lengths above, that's her. And the rest of them are in a little bit of trouble. They just really couldn't handle the heat when it got served up, and the heat wasn't that much. I thought he might put him into the fives or the sixes through the mid and really bust them up, but he didn't have to. He just had to run a 600-metre sustained sprint. It's a horse perfectly capable of. Great race. Good horse. I'm guessing you won't be backing September run anytime soon? No, she's, um, she's been good. But in terms of a betting commodity, she's got one foot in the rubbish bin and might be looking for the breeding barn. But Mr. Waller is a master. So until we see her look like she's going to go back to where she's capable of, then we'll go again. And Splintex for me, you see that one good performance uh, campaign and um, you know that, that horse has just put everything into that one run. I remember when it went up to Queensland and we thought, yep, brings that Sydney form up to uh, Queensland and it's going to be winning. Just has that one great run and um, no excuses, really. You look at the data and had 
every opportunity to run a good number and the last 200 was really disappointing. It was. Very disappointing. I thought he was the one who was capable of handling the squeeze through the mid. But he gave up mighty quick. He was the first horse gone. He was the uh, he was the one who had the big reaction to the shift, but the shift was only a length and a half. The shift wasn't that big. So, you know, the reasoning that Balanipatinas and Swats that have been able to run home like they did is because the shift through the mid wasn't that big. But he just, nah, not for me today. He will mm. not be trying, he said. All right. Now, it's impossible to compare race shapes here. A lot of talk after Zaki's win uh, in the McKinnon that he would have won the Cox Plate. Um, we know his profile, he's got that big number in Queensland, his profile here, or even this prep, that one run in Sydney and a couple of runs in Melbourne sat in that three to four lengths above benchmark. We said he'd probably have to go plus six to win a Cox Plate. What did he do on Saturday beating Cascadian? Well... What was our pre-race communication regarding him and this race? Do you recall? Uh, I, thought, I thought we said uh, he, he'd either win or he'd be um, probably wouldn't place. Yeah, but what sort of level, did, what was the expectation from a level perspective? Oh, well, the, yeah, the, we've been, been saying his profile the last three runs have been sitting between that three and four. So that's probably what we expected. And we thought, was there a horse that could, you know, take that plus five to 2,000 and really throw something down at him? Yeah. I recall my communication might have been, I had an expectation that he would roll forward and go somewhere near four from the front. And he would ask those from behind him to eclipse the four, which would make him very, very difficult to beat. He's gone 4.1 lengths above, which is just bang on where we thought he'd go to. And what now is becoming his profile. Mm. You know, he had the big flash in the pan run at Doombin where he was able to sustain a good gallop off a brutal speed. But if you look at every other start in the country, he's gone to the same zone. Doesn't win a Cox Plate? No. Not for mine. For me, in a Cox Plate, he finishes fourth. He doesn't beat State Arrest Animo or very elegant. He is... I think he's, if he's ever going to go to the real big number again, it's going to be on a track with some give. That would be his best chance of going back near the big stuff. But to me, he looked like a horse who you could sense he had an element of dominance about him. But he hadn't quite come up off the brutal Brisbane Carnival. And he was just maintaining that platform. So he's going to get another chance once again next autumn to reset the body, have a good break this time, reset and see if he wants to climb to the big heights again. But for me, off, you know, no way in the world am I making up that this horse wins the Cox Plate. Not from all the evidence that sit around him.
What's your take on the horses that finished behind him? They went slow through that first section, big mid-race squeezes, but should they have run home quicker or, you know, it, there was really nothing jumping out of the ground. I know Cascadian made some ground late, but are they end of prep? Was it race shape? Clearly race shapes played a part, but, you know, from fourth down, they haven't broken benchmark overall. No, they haven't. It was a day where, in terms of that race shape, in terms of the way the track played with the artificial speed from out wider and they stuck harder to the inside here. And the reason they stuck harder to the inside was through because of the pressure that went on through the mid. Like, look at James's ride in comparison to what others were asked to do. Like, he's gone 4.5 lengths below first section of the 800. Mm. He's had a very comfortable squeeze for him. Six length squeeze put him into the 1.7 lengths above second section. Hit a race peak of plus two between the six and the four. Like, between the six and the four, he's gone 11.06. So any horse that wanted to scout wide around that bend was simply asked to do too much. Like mm. he's asking horses to go into the, you know, high tens to make any ground. He's asking them to go 11 flat just to maintain their position. So horses like Private Eye, Superstorm, Hungry Heart, go and have a look at the squeezes in there. Like, you know, you're asking horses to go anywhere between 11.7 and 14.6 length squeezes through the mid. And, you know, they're peaking at two and a half lengths above, which has put them into the 11s, you know, low 11s. You know, you've got a horse there like Private Eye has gone 11.02. So you've been exposed between the six and the four, and he just took all the life out of them. So, you know, the horses who have snuck up and got a little bit closer, Cascadians, Moongas, et cetera, they've just maintained the squeezes. Their squeezes weren't as big as what his were, you know. Uh, sorry, the others. The squeezes were in the eights. They've just been able to sustain their speed home and ultimately make up a little bit of ground on him. But So you're forgiving of their runs? Yeah, for sure. They couldn't possibly win. You know, they've come from unwinnable positions. And... You know, they've given a horse who's going to go four from the front. They've given him eight lengths. Mm. Game over. You know, from a sometimes you talk about riders who ride to race shape rather than ride for position. Hungry Heart, Superstorm, Private Eye, and noted horses who get back in the field. Yeah. But all three are more than capable of handling a race shape, which would put them up on speed here. You know, for them to go negative five early is nothing. So they've ridden for position and ultimately been busted up. Probably the poor run of the race was Colette. You know, but she's had a funny campaign. And for her to do what she did in her latest, you know, the week prior, probably ticked the boxes from her from a campaign perspective. So I'm definitely forgiving of Private Eye Superstorm Hungry Art. Um, what did you make of K.I. Nortek? Well, I think he's in the same boat as the others, right? Um, Nine-length mid-race squeeze. Uh, you know, copped a one-length slowdown from the 
bought her the two and then was home okay. But, well, Kayla and I te think might be the one that heads to Sandown. Um, well, the old Sandown, meaning at Caulfield in a couple of weeks. Um, so you'd give, I think you'd give those horses a bit more of a chance. That mid-race mid squeeze might do them wonders for the next start. Well, that probably proved from KI's perspective that he wasn't a time waster in a Cox Plate. Well, he's beaten home, Hungry Heart, Colette, Dallasan. Dallasan was in the Cox Plate. You know, so you got a feel for connections there. Hmm. You know, from the way he was discussed and the way he was evicted, you would expect him to run last here if he was a time waster. Hmm. So, you know. Missed out on one there. He's fourth placing. I thought he was past Mark. I thought he was good. But, yep. you know, all credit to Zaki. And he's going to be a very interesting and exciting horse going into the autumn. I think there's going to be a lot of misreads on this horse. Okay. As there's been on many. All right. Were there any others across the week that you uh, were keen to chat about? In terms of the week... Four days of racing. Is it too much? Is 40 races in a week? Is it starting to stretch the talent levels or? No. What's your I thoughts? I think Oaks Day doesn't have to be a big race day from a, um, from a racing perspective. You have that one race with the Oaks and make it all about getting the ladies to the track. Um, uh, I think that's. I think that race day is all about the party rather than about the racing. The racing is sort of secondary. Um, I think the fields on Saturday were good. Saw a number of good horses run on both Derby Day and Stakes Day. Horses like Colette, uh, like Superstorm, uh, like Hungry Heart. Um, so I've got no issue with um, seeing horses back up. We see... Yeah, we see runners in the wakeful happy to run in the yokes. Um, I, th I think the quality of racing's fine. If we if we lull down the Oaks Day from a racing perspective, hmm. you being having the media hat hmm. and us having the next generation following, how would you spice an Oaks Day up from a party perspective and take the emphasis off the racing from an on-track point of view well i think in an ideal world you'd get lights at flemington and have it under lights and have a bit of a night meeting night meeting yeah i reckon you have your sort of manicato style put it under lights um after work drinks make it a real twilight twilight night event lure out one of the bigger performers from a musical perspective? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't get too excited about those sort of things, but... Um, or would you prefer face painting in a clown? Are you asking from a racing perspective or from a... from a? You're asking from a... Um, going from to a the races. From a next generation of racing perspective, is, is Oaks Day a Ladies' Day focus still? Is it more a, do you take the focus away from it being a ladies' day as such and turn it into a party-style atmosphere? I think the whole carnival tries to embrace a party-style atmosphere. 
Um, but yeah, you probably can. I think you probably can do something to make each of the days have their own flavor. Like is Steaks Day still family day? I'm not too sure. I walked out of Flemington and the exact same song was playing from the exact same band the exact same time after the last. It was just, the, it was the same band, same songs um, after after each of the four meetings. So, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure what the answer is. You you put me on the spot there. I probably need to have a bit more time to think of uh think of something there. But yeah, I I just I don't think the racing on Oaks Day needs to be outstanding. I think you make it a bit more about the party and um you have those those two pure race days from the uh, the stakes day is probably the one that they've got to boost the profile a bit. Like Nature Strip versus Swats that all, all credit to Swats that now. A, running second in a group one, but you'd like to see a better field for the VRC sprint and maybe one more good race on that day um, outside of the McKinnon would have been um, really nice. Derby day is obviously fantastic racing and then cup day is cup day. Um, so yeah, I don't have too many complaint, complaints about cup week. The last day is definitely not family day. Like you're recently a new father. I've, my daughter is eight. My son is five. Mm. And the thought process of me needing to take them to the last day of the carnival hasn't and will never pop into my head. So the family day aspect of that has really gone. Yeah. So it's um, that sort of family day while it's a great idea, family day at the races for me is more of a country cup day. Or even um, that Sandown meeting, that, that Caulfield meeting at the end of the carnival. That's more of a, for me, taking the family is not having the crowd, which I think many would. And Friday nights at the Valley is more of a family feel to me than the last day of the carnival. The last day of the carnival to me needs to be the target day where you try and get the youth through the door and give them a form of entertainment that's not sampling some of Australia's finest beverages non-stop for six hours. You know, whether the time frame of the races get brought back a little bit and the racing focus is shorter and sharper. And then, you know, Havana Brown or Co could roll onto the stage after the last and, you know, once all the horses bugger off and, you know, take it into the night. That's an option. But that would be my day to focus on the youth and get them in through the door. Very interesting, though. I was just, so, you know, I'm looking through the IVR numbers from each day and seeing the majority of races you don't need to break benchmark to win through the carnival hmm. so in terms of talent i think a lot of trainers run away from races thinking their horses aren't good enough like if there was any communication with me through trainers regarding these fillies races i was saying if you had one put it in and have a go because this is your big opportunity to get involved, you know, just because a race is a group three doesn't mean there's group three talent there. Uh -huh. 
So, you know, from a trainer's perspective, I think there was a lot of horses that were going around in weaker races, country cups, et cetera, that really could have got out and been competitive in a lot of these races. And instead they were racing for far less prize money and against far, um, you know, and there wasn't much gap in terms of talent versus the bush races on the weekend. Can I give so you, that was my take. Can I give you one to follow for Cup Week next year? You can give me as many horses to follow as you like. Not a horse. I want to give you a trainer. Okay. John O'Shea absolutely nailed Cup Week. And you can, you can in with the beauty of hindsight, um, he set Minaj for the Group 3. She smashed him. Set Quantico for the listed race. Smashed him. Uh, bend the knee, didn't have to break benchmark to win the listed stakes, but just set bend the knee for that race. Now we're talking about horses that, you know, Minaj was well back. Quantico was uh, seven into six. Bend the knee was nine bucks. Well done, John O'Shea, I think, that week. If you got, um, if you had horses with him and, and John said we're setting these campaigns around peaking in cup week, well, he's... Um, He's done a great job there. His horses all showed up and they were all brilliant. How good was it to have the Sydney riders, the smarter ones, the J-Max and the Nashes, go up against the Olivers and the Prebles? Yeah. That was a highlight for mine. The big boys moving and shaking. Well done to our man, Ray Skolsky, on... Melbourne Cup, Quinella. What an outstanding achievement. Very good. Very good. Great. Um, that's going to be a Melbourne Cup that people won't forget, for sure. Very elegant. What's on, the, what's on the horizon for the next generation of racing? We've got horses. They will start running. Mm. Yep. So hopefully owners are getting back to the track soon. Uh, we've had one... One of our most um, raced horses, uh, Defiant Diva, uh, hopefully gets to the races third up next week. So she'll be nommed everywhere. And hopefully, as you said, probably don't need a break benchmark to be winning races um, now that the good horses are out. Um, so, yeah, excited about what Defiant Diva can do. Um, most of our other horses are still just chipping away. So eggs in the Defined Diva basket. Maybe we can have a little Christmas party somewhere for the next geners, those in the horses and, and those who uh, have followed us over the spring. Well, that's you're the master of ceremony style, Mr. Entertainment of the two of us. So you can put your thinking cap on. And if we can find a watering hole pre-Christmas to attend with a few of the group and get the group to start to get to know each other a little bit, that would be good. Mm -hmm. and hopefully we can get a winner or two before the not too distant future. Another thought process that I had is the racing starts to die down a little bit and we will do a little focus on Ascot. We like to go and play over there. But maybe with our guests that we have on, we might be able to do a little five-part series and have the trainers of the next-gen horses on 
and a little bit of get to know them, the next generation in the training ring. I like it. I like it. All right, mate. We'll um, spitball some more ideas, but um, it's been a fun spring. Hopefully, punters out there have enjoyed our series. Some of the guests we've had on, Jace Richardson, David Gately, uh, Mick Kent Jr., uh, Dr. Turf, uh, Damien Oliver. Uh, who else have we had on? Oh, you've got me there. No idea. I've had a number of guests on, so hopefully you've enjoyed that series. Um, I'll chat to you soon, Hayden. You will do. Appreciate it. And I'll shoot another one at the end of the week. Bye for now. Thanks, next generous bite.